All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And standing by to join me is Nancy Regan. We're going to talk about her latest book, From Showing Off to Showing Up, An Imposter's Journey from Perfect to Present. Present. And boy, did this resonate with me. Welcome to the show. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good. I was just saying this really resonated with me, as I, as I mentioned to you. Um, was it hard to decide to put yourself out there in this book? <laughs> that is an excellent question, and yes, the answer is yes, yes, yes. Um, first of all, I can't tell you how it makes my heart sing to hear you say it resonated with you, because that's been the greatest gift for me, that I've heard from so many readers to say, wow, it's like you're telling my story, even if we've had very different lives, and I think it really is a human experience that I'm talking about. Um, but it's not the book that I meant to write. So when you ask, <laughs> was it hard for me, I had to be uh, sort of pulled kicking and screaming into this path mm-hmm. because I, I pitched a book about the fear of public speaking, which oh. is what I do. Sometimes I coach people one-on-one or I do workshops around presentation training and really taking the fear out of it. Um, the publisher said, yeah, that sounds great. And then when they started to see the stories that I was writing to support it, yeah. which were, you know, pretty vulnerable sure. and open, they sat me down and said, we want you to take public speaking out of the book and just talk about your relationship with fear in Love general. It. Love it. And uh, of course, I probably went white as a ghost. And, and I was <laughs> like, no, 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 no. And I went on into full imposter syndrome as well, because I said, who am I? to write a memoir, who am I to write a book, which is what most authors go through. Oh, sure. Uh, And yet, I'm really grateful that they did, because even the process of writing the book, Janine, was like therapy for me. Oh, Because I I had to do, let me put it this way, when I am coaching someone in public speaking, I will always say, you know, the fear of public speaking, which, as Jerry Seinfeld quipped Mm -hmm. so perfectly is he said he said you know they say it's the number one fear people have that means at a funeral people would rather be in the casket than giving eulogy Uh. (laughs) and i always think that the fear of public speaking if you dig beneath it is really the fear of public being and Mm. being seen and if you dig further beneath that it's the fear of being seen as inadequate and just a little bit further you go a little deeper and you discover that that's our own, all too often, self-limiting belief yeah. that I am not enough. Sure. I am not good enough. Sure. I am inadequate. Yeah. And so no wonder I don't want the world to see the real me. No wonder I, I moved through the world for so long wearing a, a social mask and my armor to tell everybody, oh, yeah, I've got it all together, even when I felt like I was, you know, close to falling apart. Sure. And one thing I quickly resonated with was the cover of the book. I mean, you're you're very comfortable on a chair. The chair's backwards. You're wearing black Converse, black leather jacket. And I thought, when I was in my early 20s going to work in suits and how I thought I should be dressed and presenting, I was so wildly uncomfortable. Oh, my gosh. That is, that's exactly it. And for me... The Converse sneakers on the cover of the book mm-hmm. represent the fact that this is about taking a journey 
which takes you back to who you were before the world told you how to dress, how mm-hmm. to be, who to be, right. and who were you really? You know, wh- how far back do you have to go to get past all of those expectations and the the need for positive reinforcement and and praise? And for me, it would probably be about eight years old, yeah. and I definitely was a tomboy at that point. And, you know, I, I resisted the dresses and skirts that the adults tried to put me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, I got the message loud and clear that, oh, if you're a girl, this is how you're supposed to dress. If you're a woman, this is how you're supposed to look. And to be a successful woman, this is, you know, how you're supposed to present yourself. Sure. And so I really morphed away from that very comfortable kid to this person that felt, yeah, I've always got to be looking for the approval and the good opinion of others. And here's, here's the equation. And I have to say that the most liberating thing in my life is to have walked away from that and said, no, you know what? I need to just show up. Right. And that's where the title of the book comes from. For me, showing off is living your life according to the desires of other people and, you know, kowtowing to their expectations and so on. Yeah. And showing up is saying, no, this is me. Here I am. This is the real me. Yes. It's hard for people pleasers because yeah. it means that we have to accept that that's going to be uncomfortable for some people to sure. for us to really show up as our true selves and also hold our personal boundaries and say, no, that doesn't work for me. Thank you. You know, you can say that with compassion, both for the other person you're saying it to and for yourself, Mm -hmm. holding your own boundary. Sure. So, so yeah, the cover means a lot to me. And and as you can see, (laughs) it also features my silver hair, which is a gift I gave myself when I was 50. I just let go of the That's hair good. dye that I was doing my roots with every two weeks. And I always say it's not a judgment on anyone else's decision. Sure. It's not a, you've got to do this to be authentic. It's not it at all. It's just, it's what worked for me. And it was a, it was a symbol for me of saying, okay, it's time to relax into myself mm-hmm. and show up as myself in the world. I actually look at this picture and I think you look beautiful and adorable. Stop. I'll give you 20 minutes to stop that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I seriously, this was my first impression. I thought, she's super cool. She's very comfortable with herself. Um, You know, to all the the ageism we have to face in society, this is just like, here I am. I'm, I'm beautiful as I am, and I don't care what you think. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. That's what, you know, that's what I was trying to communicate, because it's not just about me. It is about the connection I'm making with the reader. Mm -hmm. And the other reason, frankly, I'm wearing Converse, and you have to buckle buckle your seatbelt because this is really corny, but it is the way I saw my intention for the book. The other reason I'm wearing those Converse sneakers is because I wanted it to start a conversation. Ah, okay. And that is, that's the greatest reward Mm -hmm. the book has given me, apart from the fact that I really got to know myself better through the writing of it, but it's also unleashed this amazing sense of connection with people who read it 
and see it as a mirror and say, wow, yeah, you're making me look at the world a little differently or my life a little differently. And if it unlocks something for someone else, that is just the biggest gift I could get, really. Oh, it's fantastic. And by the way, I have the same sneakers. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. You had to appreciate it. Mine have little and daisies, You asked though. if I was uh, uncomfortable being yeah. this vulnerable, and yeah. I will say that on the day that the book went to print, Janine, mm-hmm. I went into an anxiety spiral. Oh, no, really? Well, because I am a, a you know recovering control freak, recovering perfectionist, because I was so terrified of making mistakes, and and uh, in my view, allowing people to see that I wasn't really as good as they thought I was. That's oh, the imposter's uh, journey, right? Of course. And yet. I was being very vulnerable. I, I really, it's, this is a, a raw, um, very authentic account of my own relationship with fear and wearing that social mask and, and trying to convince the world I was, you know, without flaw. And, mm-hmm. and then moving into this space where I realized, guess what? We are all flawed. And it's only when we can dig into what it is we don't like about ourselves that we can really show up in the world. Yeah. And anyway, when the book came out, I lost all of that fear and anxiety because it connected in such a profound way with readers. And they, you know, to my amazement, kept saying, yeah, this is, this is me you're talking about. And sure. The best thing you can do, I think, in terms of a contribution with a book is to make someone feel not alone in an uncomfortable experience they have. And that, mm-hmm. that's been what this has done, and I just, I just love it so much. It's amazing. I want to bring up a couple things. Uh, one, you talk about how, you know, we're not born fearful, obviously, and things happen to um, affect us, you know, and create this anxiety and fear and depression and things like that. Um, do you have an early memory of something that you would feel comfortable sharing that, because for me, I remember being like 14 and standing up in front of my class and shaking, holding a piece of paper, trying to speak, and I was I couldn't speak. Yeah, well, I think at 14, too, you know, that's a difficult time. The way I look at it is that as children, we're very rarely told just be, you know, we're told behave, be good, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> be, be everything else, but right. don't just be everything you are. Like, no, they, they turn down our little light. If you think about toddlers, they are born with like a full, babies and toddlers have this full on light that shines from within. Yeah. And they're not worried about offending people. They're not worried about gaining uh, people's approval. They just are, you know, little whirling dervishes. And then parents, and I'm not bashing parents. I mean, you have to, you have to give your kids some boundaries. I totally understand that. But I think we're moving into a, a type of parenting in our world today where we understand we don't want to pen them in too much. We don't want to turn down or dim their light. We want to give them safety, but also allow them to have some risk in their life and to to be able to feel a sense of adventure rather than you just have to be safe all the time. Right. And, you know, safety for me it was very much about 
being liked. Mm-hmm. And that partly comes from the fact that I grew up in a family that was in the world of politics. Ah, yes. And in, in politics, as you can imagine, it's, uh, it's important to have people like you. In fact, your job depends on whether people like you or That's not. Right. And I remember when um, I learned that lesson, probably at about the age of 12, when I realized, oh, if they don't like you, you can have the whole world sort of pulled out from under you because you have to switch jobs and so on. And so that idea that I think we all walk through the world with, what will the neighbors think? Mm -hmm. That was really prevalent when we were kids. You know, our parents, I'm sure most of our parents would actually have said that phrase to us, well, what will the neighbors Mm -hmm. think? (laughs) But we carry that through our lives in our fear of being judged by others. And I really think if you can get rid of that, what will the neighbors think issue, you can relax into life. You can spend a lot more time in the present moment rather than worrying about the future or ruminating about the past. And in the present moment is where we find joy. And it's where we find real comfort and relaxation. So that's a a good reason. Well, also... I, as a parent, because I have uh, two kids, I want my kids to be comfortable coming to me with anything and, you know, unconditional love, 100%. And so as a parent, you, you know, you perhaps were raised with certain expectations, as you were saying, and things you should be doing. And and I, I feel like this book makes you think about the lessons you were taught and how you didn't have to follow those things that you were, that were so ingrained. You know what I'm saying? And to be open to, because this generation, Gen Z, is very different from the way we grew up. No question. Yeah. But it is still, you know, I think the world of social media really dictates that people are concerned about how they are being seen by others. Oh, yes. And it's sometimes their number one concern. Yeah. It's an overarching issue in their lives. Uh, how many likes they're getting on social media, or if nobody liked their post, or they don't have any followers, and what does that mean? And I I really think that uh, in our world, so often we conceal parts of ourselves that we disown or that we don't want to admit to, and we do that in the hope of finding connection and belonging, but that's like sort of like being lost in the woods and looking for the water, but actually walking further into the woods. Mm -hmm. Because as we, the whole world has learned from Brene Brown and her her brilliant TED Talks and her, you know, research, is that we can only have authentic connection in our lives with other human beings if we allow ourselves to be seen as our authentic selves. And the more we wear that social mask and, and show other people uh, a filtered version of us, then the more we're getting in the way of that sense of deep belonging that we all crave as human beings. Definitely. And, and I, I think that goes back to our fear of being seen or standing in public, whether on the stage or at a cocktail party, because if they don't accept us, then... I think that triggers something in our in our deep reptilian brain that says, I'm not safe. If I don't have belonging in this world, 
then I am unsafe because I'm isolated and I might not survive. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's going deep into the, right. into, I call it the alligator brain. <laughs> um, I t- in fact, I call my fear, as you know, I refer to my fear as Gus, mm-hmm. uh, a personified version of my fear. And I was able to befriend him rather than beating him. And you'll notice it's a him. I know. <laughs> I know. It's interesting. My editor said one day, it's so interesting that your fear is a, has a masculine identity. Yes. I, I want to add something which I, which I loved. Please. You mentioned Glennon Doyle. Um, yes. Feelings are for feeling. I love that, and I also love her. Um, and that she look how raw she was in sharing her whole journey. Oof. You mentioned uh-huh. Gabor Mate. Um, I actually interviewed Daniel Mate. He talks about trauma. I mean, these yeah. are people that people should, you know, read up on and learn more about them. Um, and Elizabeth Gilbert, one of my favorite authors, Big Magic, one of my favorite books. Oh, me too. Now yeah. you know that it is because I write about it. Yeah. And really, Janine. Um, I when I went and interviewed Elizabeth Gilbert in New York about well I guess it was 2015 I had a moment where I went oh it something she said several things she said actually really flipped a switch for me in terms of self acceptance and helped me really make that sort of Jung uh, Carl Jung inspired journey mm-hmm. to into my shadow to figure out what is it I don't like about myself, what am I afraid for other people to see, and why. And she just spoke in such a a beautiful way about self-acceptance and paradox and understanding that none of us is just one thing. You know, for so long as a TV broadcaster standing in front of a spotlight I'd never felt my own light. Even I was interviewing some of the biggest names in the world, but I still felt all this secret self-doubt, even though I could act really confident. And here I was sitting with Elizabeth Gilbert, and she was talking about her partner, Rhea Elias, who had died. And um, she said, you know, uh, Rhea died of cancer, mm-hmm. and it was it was not an easy or you know oh, no. uh, peaceful death. And Elizabeth Gilbert said, "You know, was I an amazing, compassionate, generous caregiver, or was I a total bleeping nar- narcissist caught in my own stuff?" Yes. And her answer was yes, mm-hmm. and just yes, yes to all of that, mm. and. So I think that's true for so many of us. For me, it's I beat myself up for so long because I have a very busy, un, un um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, unmanageable mind. <laughs> it's not it's not tame. It is it is very unwieldy. But I have ADHD, and I didn't realize that until I was almost fifty years of age, and for so many years. I thought I was less than because I I don't have a linear logical mind. And you know, our world values that our education system really sends you the message that that's that's the be all and end all. Well, if you have a very right brain or right hemisphere focused brain where you're very creative, you might not be linear, but boy, you can accomplish all sorts of things because 
you have the ability to create something yes. from nothing. Yes. And I would much rather have my brain now than the brain that I wished I had when I was a kid that I wanted, you know, to mm-hmm. fit in. That's so interesting because I figured out I have ADHD as well. Yes, welcome to the club, <laughs> sister. That's what I tell people. Welcome to the club. <laughs> it is a beautiful place to be as long as you understand that it's a it's not a weakness, it's a strength I as think long so. as you value it. I think it's a strength. Yes. Oh, my daughter has it as well and so does one of my sons. And I've really been able to frame it that way for them. And I think they do. They see it as a superpower That's instead what I call of it, a, a, superpower. a weakness. Yeah, it is a superpower. So uh, we have to wrap up soon, but I want to, there's so much I wanted to talk about, but um, take me into your journey as a broadcaster because you, you got this job. You had, well, before you got the job, you had to um, interview over and over again and then you know, fast forward, you're interviewing Oprah and Madonna. Like, did you ever imagine this would be your life? No, I didn't. And I I feel like it was a fast-moving train that I couldn't get off of. I actually went into this uh, television station in the city I live in, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and it is a station that broadcasts to the whole eastern part of Canada. And I was just looking for advice as to whether I should go to broadcasting school or journalism school. I was still in my last year of university, and I had the opportunity to talk to the executive producer there. And he took a look at me. I will be forever grateful that he had he had a very creative mind. He was an outside-the-box thinker. Okay. And he said, hmm, I'm going to give you an audition just to see what kind of presence you have on camera. And have you rewrite some some wire copy in those days? It was wire and, copy, and <laughs> um, and he kept asking me back. I came back three times until he finally said, "You know what? We think you have tons of potential, but we can't justify hiring you as a summer reporter. So we're going to take you on as an intern if you like." And those were the days before there was much opportunity interning. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fast forward, it it turned into a summer reporter job and I had no experience, and then it very quickly turned into an opportunity to co-host the 5 o'clock show, which had 350,000 viewers. <laughs> and I, as I say, I was on that fast-moving train, and I somehow got the job because I could really act confident. I had mm-hmm. done acting at university and in high school, and I loved it, but I could present this facade to the world and convince them that I had it, you know, as I say, all together. And um, so no wonder I was, I felt like an imposter because I was surrounded by people who had journalism degrees and broadcasting, you know, tons of experience and so on and had worked across the country and here I was hosting this, or co-hosting this show. <laughs> Fortunately, I was paired with someone who is very experienced and professional. And that's how I learned. It was, it was um, baptism by fire. Love it. And, <laughs> so, I mean, you interviewed so many people. Well, I, I did movie junkets, which was a wonderful thing because we were, for a long time, we were the only station on the east coast of Canada doing movie junkets in New York and L.A. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there were probably only about five or six Canadians anyway. 
And so it was a really wonderful experience, and yet I would always be so nervous. You'd watch the movie. You'd get, be flown down to L.A. or New York. Mm-hmm. You'd, you'd watch the movie with all the other media people, and then the next day you would interview the stars, producer, director, whomever. And it wasn't until... I sat down across from Mel Gibson for the movie Braveheart (laughs) that I actually was willing to be a little bit authentic because as I walked into the room, he said to say hello, you know, he Mm -hmm. said, how are you doing? And for some reason, I broke my my typical pattern of just pretending to be really confident. And I said, oh, I'm a little nervous. Okay. And he did something kind of amazing he looked at me like what you're nervous about talking to me and he said watch this he put his fingers in his eyes he put one finger in his mouth he made all these faces yeah and then he looked at me and he said there do you feel better (laughs) and I did it was like in that moment he made me realize we're just two human beings sitting across from one another and that prepared me for six months later going to Chicago and interviewing Oprah, sitting on her stage. So I've always been grateful that Mel Gibson, who understood, you know, idiosyncrasies and being flawed and Mm -hmm. so on, I think, um, he helped me understand that, okay, you know what? We all go through our stuff. And if we can just take all that and push it to the side and show up with each other as human beings that's when we can tap into the fun and the joy of life. Definitely. That's a great story. I just want to add that there are times, and this has perhaps happened to you, where I'm interviewing somebody and they're very nervous, and I feel like it's my job to make them comfortable and to throw them a lifeline. You know, if if you sense something about them and you know they have a great story, but they're just so fearful, is to make them feel comfortable. I think that is the true talent of a good interviewer because you can, it's like, you know, with broadcasters, you can be a, a great anchor. Anyone can read a teleprompter once they learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's in the crisis moments that an anchor really shows their value when mm-hmm. they have no teleprompter, when they're covering a live story and it's unfolding and they don't have a lot of information. Well, the same is true interviewing someone, you know, you can sit down with a list of questions. Just about anyone can do that. But to be someone like you, Janine, who A, comes into the conversation prepared, B, is really focused on listening and and feeling the other person's energy and helping them give their best representation of themselves, basically. You know, you want to just pull out the best in them. Yes. And you do that by making them relaxed. And you made me feel relaxed the minute we talked today. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, I there have been moments where somebody stumbles to find a word and I'll fill it in or I'll genuinely say, oh, that happens to me all the time because it does. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But I think you give your listeners a gift in that as well. And, you know, when I say it took me so long to get comfortable making mistakes on air, it's Mm -hmm. because I was afraid for people to see me make mistakes. And eventually I realized, oh, 
if I make a mistake, as long as I'm comfortable with it and maybe even am self-deprecating and, and can laugh about it, yes. not only does it not alienate me from my audience, it, it brings me closer to them because they see me as a human being. You bet. And, and the more we can all accept that we are imperfectly perfect, mm-hmm. imperfectly imperfect, then you know that's when we can really build amazing relationships and focus on our contribution to the world. Beautiful. Well, we have to wrap up. I've loved every minute of this. Let's do it again. And I would love that. <laughs> and if you are ever in uh, this area or I ever come to Canada, I would love to meet you in person. Um, I've been speaking with Nancy Regan about her book, From Showing Off to Showing Up. Where can people find out more about you? Oh, thanks, Janine. I, I expect you to come to Canada, and I know we're going to have some juicy conversations. We'll walk on the beach. And I you know, love I, I love the beach. Um, I am at Nancy Regan, R-E-G-A-N, dot C-A, which is the Canadian version of dot com. Perfect. And, yeah, the book uh, goes on sale in the U.S. tomorrow, March 7th. So I am thrilled and excited. It's already a Canadian bestseller, which has just been such a privilege to have had so many people read it and and find it meaningful. So thank you so, so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Congratulations. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. If you missed any part of this fantastic conversation with Nancy Regan, it'll be up on the show blog. You can read all about her at gutthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Standing by is Sheldon Abbott with Cure for the Blues. I'll be back next Monday. Have a great Monday, everyone.